All right, we're going to continue going through the book of First Timothy, and we're going to be in chapter two tonight. And uh, just before we get into uh, the scripture on here, just kind of a reminder of what we talked about last week. You know, last week we have Paul when he's talking to Timothy. He mentions at the beginning of it, you know, not to give heed to, you know, fables and endless genealogies and things that minister questions rather than godly edifying. All right. That's one of the things he mentioned. And one of the things that we see in First Timothy is he's given a lot of practical things that he wants being taught in the church. And he told them, don't be teaching things in the church that aren't things that I taught you. All right. Church is not a place where you come, where you're hoping to hear some new just crazy stuff, all right? You know, just some, you know, this isn't where we go to have uh, our seminars about just, you know, things that are weird and uh, supernatural and just, you know, we're not going to do that, all right? We're not going to get caught up in the latest conspiracy theories. And unfortunately, that's getting pretty popular. And especially with preachers that like to put their stuff on the internet, it can really help you get a good following if you go and you get into some of the conspiracy theories and start promoting those things. But, uh, we're supposed to be teaching things that become sound doctrine. And we saw specifically it's things that are actually affect our behavior in day-to-day life and that will make us a better Christian. Those are things that we're supposed to be talking about in church. Okay, And so here we are tonight. We are in church. We are gathered together. We are assembled together. And you know what? As members of Liberty Baptist Church... I hate. I hope nobody's surprised by this, and I don't want to reveal anything to you that maybe you didn't know you're in for. But you know, we expect some things from you. If you're saved, if you're a child of God, and if you are a part of this church, we expect some things from you. All right? And we're going to see some of these things in the next chapters. And so let's go ahead and start reading through some of these things. In verse one, it says, "I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks." be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority that we may live or that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. I want you to notice first off, we expect you to be a people of prayer. Alright? I hope Church is not the only place where you all pray. Alright? We pray together here as a church, but I hope you all are praying throughout the week. I hope you pray in your home. And you know what? I hope you pray for each other. I hope you pray for me. I expect that from you. Uh, that's why we bring our prayer requests in here, not so we can give you all an opportunity to talk. We do these things so people will know what requests you have. They'll know what you need and we'll know what to pray for because we believe that praying actually works. That praying actually makes a difference. And we expect you to pray for these things. When you hear somebody in the church get up and say, hey, I need prayer for this. You know what your job is as a member of this church is to go home and pray for them and to lift them up in prayer. And that we're and not just for each other here, but he says, you know, be made for all men. And note, he mentions specifically for kings and for all that are in authority. You know what? We ought to be praying for our leadership. We ought to be praying for the leadership in this community, we ought to pray that we'll get some good leaders in here that will lower our taxes and, you know, pray that they'll actually make some good laws so we can lead a quiet and peaceable life. Pray that we get some good people leading this community so they don't try to pass ordinances that stop us from soul winning, that they don't pass, you know, zoning requirements and things that will cause a financial burden for our building. We don't want those things to happen to us. And so, you know what the Bible says? We need to pray for these people. We need to pray for them. And it's not so much that we are you know, that we 
approve of these people, but they're there and there are things that, you know, we don't want them doing to us. So we're going to pray. And church ought to be a place of prayer. Remember what Jesus said when he went into that temple and he's driving the people out. They were there trying to make money. He says, my house should be called a house of prayer. But you have made it into a den of thieves. And you know what? I don't know today. Now, some churches you can go into and they have made it into a den of thieves. They are making merchandise of people. They got their bookstores, their coffee shops and all these little things. They're constantly, you know, selling things and making money and wheeling and dealing and all that stuff. But, you know, I think today, if Jesus went to a lot of churches, he would be going through there saying, you know, my house would be called a house of prayer. But y'all have made it into a stinking social club, you know, just a place where we just come and just build community and just try to make each other feel good. But you don't teach any doctrine. And in these places, too, they're like that they have no expectations of the people. And you know what? We expect you to pray. So I don't like expectations. I don't like requirements being put on me. Well, then you know what? Go to the social club church. Go to the coffee shop church. All right. You know, go to the church where they're probably just going to try to make merchandise out of you and just try to sell things to you. Go to those places. We expect people to pray. And we ought to be making supplication. It says, you know, making supplication. All right. That's, that's prayer requests. Have specific things that we go to the Lord for. Intercessions. All right. Why do we, why do we make intercession? That's where we're going to God on behalf of someone else. Say, hey, you know, you're going and praying and saying, Lord, so and so in the church, they're getting away from you. They're backsliding. Lord, I need you to be merciful to them. You know, Lord, bring them back. Lord, use me to help bring these people back. Make intercession. Do that for our leaders. Make intercession for our president. Say, Lord, you know, work on his heart. Lord, change him. Give him wisdom. Help him to make some good decisions. Help him to have the backbone that he needs to do the things that he should as a leader. We ought to be doing that. Making intercession. Now, why do we do that? Well, that's what Jesus does for us. Okay, it says in verse 5, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Okay, he, he goes to bat for us. And you know what? He wants us to go to bat for other people too. All right. And it's, it, he wants us to make intercessions for other people. And that is a, one of our things that we're supposed to be doing as Christians. And that's something we expect. And so praying for leaders, you know, it doesn't, said, it doesn't mean we have to like our leaders. No, it says, to, it says we're supposed to be giving thanks for them. So really, we got to give thanks for our leaders. Well, hey, it could be worse. I mean, think about it. We could have Hillary right now. All right, you know, I don't think Trump's much better, but you know what? I'd rather look at Hillary than Trump. So I don't want to look at Trump. You know, look, you know, look at Trump. You know, look at look at his his hair. Well, would you rather I look at Kim Jong Un's hair? I mean, think about it. It could be a lot worse. All right, this our country's got its issues. It's got its problems, but you know what? We've still got a lot that we could be thankful for. And our prayers that we're making. It's okay to pray for our leaders. I don't care how wicked they are. It's okay to do that. You know, maybe you need to pray, let their days be few and let another take their office. But pray for them. Why? Because we're not necessarily praying so much because we just love them and want great things for them. We want to lead a quiet and peaceable life. We don't want them being an enemy to us and working against us and stopping what we're doing. Our prayers for their salvation is for our benefit. We got too many people that I'm afraid they just want them all to go to hell. But wait a minute. If they got saved, wouldn't that actually be better for us? Maybe they would be better leaders. Maybe they would make better decisions. You know, and so 
while, you know, while giving of thanks can be difficult, it can be worse. There's no doubt about that. You know, Trump's got his issues, but he's not Hitler. He's not Hillary. He's not, you know, Bernie Sanders. He's not a lot of the people that we could have had. He's not Ted Cruz. I, I know a lot of people thought he was the Messiah, but that guy creeped me out. I didn't like him. Uh, you know, there, you know, yeah, there's better people too, but in the end, alright, in the end, I'm still gonna pray for the guy. I think it's okay to do that, and that's what the Bible said to do. I'm not even necessarily praying for him for his benefit, but I am for the benefit of this country. For my benefit, for my family's benefit, for our church's benefit. We need good leaders. And so he says, I exhort therefore, first of all, he, he mentions supplications, prayers. We should be praying for people. If you are not praying during the week, you're not a very good church member. Alright? And listen, this is between you and God. We're not going to check up. We're not going to make you fill out a log and turn it in every week to show that you've been praying like you're supposed to. Alright? Don't think you're going to, you're not going to get kicked out of the church if you haven't been praying. Alright? But just understand, if you haven't been praying, you're not a very good church member, alright? You're not a very good brother in Christ, you're not a, or sister in Christ, and you're not a very good Christian. You ought to be praying. God expects that from us. Look at, so verse, uh, look, look at verse 5 again. It says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom from all, to be testified in due time, whereunto I am ordained a preacher... And an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. So while Jesus is the mediator between God and man, we are the preachers that are supposed to spread the message about Jesus. That is our job. That's what we do. He said there's one God, there's one mediator between God and man. And the man it's the man Jesus Christ. He gave Himself a ransom for, for all. He's the one that died for the sins of the whole world. Paul said, you know, I am ordained an apostle. Okay? He said, you know, he said, I speak the truth. I say, I'm a teacher of the Gentiles in faith in verity. Alright? And in truth, in, talking about truth. Whose job is it to spread the news about the mediator? About Jesus Christ? That is our job. Jesus Christ is not on this earth anymore. He's not walking this earth physically like He did at one time. He ascended into heaven and His final words before He ascended into heaven was for us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Why are we doing that? Because there's a problem. There's, there's a big conflict between God and man and that is the fact that man is sinful. And that sin all right, is what separates us. That sin is what keeps us from being able to get to the Father. But thankfully, Jesus Christ came to this earth who was the mediator of a better covenant. Jesus Christ came to this earth and He paid for our sins. And Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Me, Jesus said. But Jesus now is not on earth. And so what has He done? What has He left here on this earth to get that message about Him being the mediator. And that is us. That is us as Christians. And you know what? We expect people who are saved, people who are members of this church, to tell other people about Jesus. That is an, that's an expectation. That's something that we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to just come to church so we can just... You know, you can hear some warm, fuzzy stories that make you feel good and give you a good feeling... 
and then leave feeling like, well, I'm a good Christian. I went to church today. And I'm a really good Christian. I went to church twice today. You know, we don't just come to just fill you with all this information so you can just get puffed up with pride and think you're great. You know what you're supposed to do with this information? You're supposed to take it and apply it to your life. When you hear messages about prayer, it's supposed to make you go home and do some praying during the week. When you hear messages about soul winning and about how to give the gospel and about the command to give the gospel, it's supposed to make you leave here and go and actually give somebody the gospel. You know, a lot of the messages that I preach on salvation are not necessarily to help you get saved because I, I preach to our congregation like they are saved. But why do I preach messages on doctrines of salvation? Because the better you understand salvation, the easier it will be for you to communicate it to other people. The easier it will be for you to answer people's questions whenever you do go soul winning. So you know what? We're going to continue digging deep into the doctrines of the Bible. We're going to continue preaching about salvation. It's going to be a common thing that is talked about here in the church. That way you all have this useful information that you can use whenever you're telling other people about salvation. Because that is something that is expected of God's people and of members of a church. Paul's talking to Timothy here. Okay, this instruction he's given, these are things that are supposed to be being passed on in the church and taught in the church. And we're supposed to be telling people about the mediator. We're supposed to let them know that, hey, you've got a sin problem. That sin problem that you have has got you in great big trouble with God. And if you don't get that taken care of, you are going to go to hell. And there is someone that can fix that problem between you and God. There is a mediator. His name is Jesus Christ. And let me tell you about what he did for you. Let me tell you about how you can receive the gift of eternal life. That is our job as Christians. That is what we are supposed to do. That is an expectation. And it says, if you're not doing that, you know, I, you know, I'm not making people fill out a log of how many people they witness to and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? If you're not telling people about Jesus, you're not a very good Christian. Okay? I'm sorry. I, I know we live in a world where we're all supposed to get compliments. We're all supposed to get A's. And we're not supposed to get red ink marked on our test. But you know what? If you're not praying, if you're not witnessing, you're not a good Christian. I don't know how else to say it. Alright? I'm not saying you're not saved. You're saved. Alright? You're saved. But there's expectations... For the saved, there's things that we should be doing. And not even just for the saved, but for church members. Okay, There's people out there that I believe are saved, but you know what? They're not in a good church. They're not in church. They're not being taught the things of God. They're not hearing the preaching that you all are hearing. And you all are hearing this preaching. I'm showing you all these Scriptures. I'm teaching you what the Bible says. I answer your questions, and I expect people to do stuff with that. And I don't think that's expecting too much. I don't think... That these are, these are big things that God has asked us to do to pray for each other and to spread the gospel. I, I really don't see where that's asking a lot, but yet a lot of people, they don't want to hear about that when they're in church. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second, turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19. It says, To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. You realize there's a bunch of people out there whose sins are being imputed to them right now. You know why? 
because they've not received the gift of salvation. Nobody's told them about Jesus. And it says in verse 20, now, then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ that be reconciled to God, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And I talked about this a little bit this morning, but here we go. We've got people out, outside of here that they're sinners. We have people in here. We're sinners too. What is the difference? All right. We are just as guilty as they are, but you know what? We have received that gift of salvation and our sins are not imputed unto us. We are just as guilty as they are, but we are not held accountable for our sins. Why? Because we have been reconciled to God by Christ Jesus. And He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He has called us to be ambassadors. So here we are, even though we're sitting in church, we are no better when it comes to the law than the people are out there. The one difference is we've been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And so what we're supposed, God told us to do, hey, now you know what you need to do? Go reconcile other people. Go tell other people about Jesus Christ so they can be saved. Do your job. Go be an ambassador for Christ. And that, that's our job. So look what it says in verse 8. Verse 8, so he says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands, without wrath and doubting. All right. Now, let's not get crazy with this verse here too, because all right, now what what's something that's pretty common in a lot of churches today? You know, when you know the praying, you know, they like they like the hands up the swing. Now, it is not a sin to raise your hands when you're praying, all right? It's not a sin to raise your hand and those things are not those things are not sin, all right? Uh, but at the same time, I don't believe it's a command that when, he, when the Bible's talking about when we pray and you're lifting up holy hands, I don't think we necessarily have to do that. All right. I told you all a while back about the lady that was preaching the funeral that, you know, when she was like reading her script and all of a sudden she gets to this one part and she's like, and then she like reads the prayer. It's like she's reading instructions, raise your hands. All right. What's it talking about when it talks about raising holy hands? Well, turn over to uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Now we talked about this. A while back, when we were in the book of uh, when we were going through the book of Hebrews, but I want to repeat this. It says in verse eleven, "Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore lift up the hands which hang down, and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet." lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. What that was talking about there, you know, when you get chastened, all right, chastening is no fun. It may, it, sometimes it kind of takes the wind out of our sails. And remember how I explained, you know, we just kind of, all right, just like our kids do. Okay. Lana does that all the time. Whenever she receives bad news or receives correction, her hands hang down, her chin drops. It's amazing how far that girl can stick her chin out and pooch her lip out. All right. Whenever things don't go her way, all right, it is very clear that she is sad and defeated. And notice how it says, you know, make straight the paths of your feet. You know, you don't need to go staggering around like a drunk. All right. You know what we need to do? We need to raise up. We need to lift up our hands in victory. And when he's talking about and in our in our praying right there, when he's talking about lifting up holy hands, you know what he's saying? Hey, when you pray, act like you think it's going to work. Act like it, act like, you know, act like you think that God actually heard your prayer. You know, don't act like it. Actually think that. You prayed. Do you not believe God 
Did God not hear you? Do you not believe God can't answer that prayer? Do you not believe God's not going to do what He said He was going to do? And you know what I think we what I think we need to do when it comes to you know at, for example when we always pray before we go soul winning, all right? How would it make you feel? Because notice in Hebrews, all right, when He says, "Make straight the paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed." All right, so. If I am just so down and depressed, I'm walking around, I'm staggering, I can hardly stand. Alright? And then there's somebody who actually is lame and has a real problem and can't walk good, and they see me who's healthy, that down, well, how's that going to make them feel? Well, man, if he can't handle this, I definitely can't handle this. Alright? So imagine if before we go out soul winning, you know, I'm praying, I'm praying something like, you know, I'm like, Lord, we ask your blessing as we go out. We're going to knock doors. I don't know why we even do this. I don't, I don't think it's going to work. I don't think... It, but, but we're going to do it because you commanded us to do it. We're going to be obedient. We're probably going to get the door slammed in our face. We're probably going to get tons of rejection, but we pray maybe there'll be that one person that might listen. And then, amen. And then I'm like, well... Let's go, everyone. Yeah, how would how would that make you feel if we if that's what we did before we go soul winning all the time? You know, I pray an Eeyore prayer, and you know, and then I'm acting like Eeyore afterwards. And man, I know preachers that are like that. They, some of you know who I'm talking about. You know, we got one locally, Pastor Eeyore. That man, you have, I tell you what, he'll he'll get you depressed big time. But I've known a lot of people that are like this, that are just always down, always doom and gloom. And you know, even and even when they pray, they act like that. Even when they preach, they act like that. You know, they get up in these meetings. I just don't know what's going on. You know, we're just living in this Laodicean age, and you know, things people are just so closed off to the gospel today. And uh, I, I, I sure hope Jesus comes back pretty soon because I don't really see how it can get much worse. You know, what a terrible attitude that is. You know what? How about you actually pray for something? How about you actually believe it's going to happen? And then you know what? Why don't you lift up your holy hands and actually be victorious and actually win something and actually accomplish something? But that is not what's going on. He said, I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. That's what it's talking about there. It's not saying we got to do this and sweat. No, it's just, hey, we're being victorious in our prayer life. When we pray, it ought to be attitude. Hey, Lord, thank you for another opportunity to go out and spread the gospel. Be with us as we go out and we tell people about your word. Help us see souls saved. And then we get done. We're like, hey, let's go out and do it. All right, let, let's go do it. Let's go hit the streets. Let's go knock those doors. Let's go tell somebody about Jesus. That's the kind of attitude we should have. That's what God expects. And you know what we expect from God's people is for them to have a victorious attitude. Are you saved? If God could answer that prayer, why can't He answer other prayers? If He saved your sorry carcass, why can't He do other things? If He saved your sorry backside, why can't He save their sorry backsides out there too? So why don't we just start acting like we believe that God can do some of these things and be victorious people. And when we do, when we go out and we make great efforts and when we knock a lot of doors, come into church the next day expecting to see visitors show up like we did today. Expect to see some of these things. I expect to see things. I'm excited every time we come to church. I never know what's going to happen. I never know what we're going to see. I never know how many visitors we're going to have. But I expect things. You know why? Because I did what I was supposed to do. 
I did, I did what God's commanded me to do. We're out there knocking doors. We're seeing people saved. I've studied the Word. I've, I've prayed about my, these messages. And I'm excited about preaching these things. And I don't know, I'm just delusional enough to think that when the Lord gives me a message and I get up and I preach it to His people that He has called to be a part of my church, that they're going to get something out of it and it's going to be a blessing to it and it's going to help them. And you know what? It's even going to change them. I expect that. That is the attitude that we ought to have. We ought to be victorious people as, as Christians. We expect that from church members. And so look at what it says in verse 9. Alright, says, in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel. Oh man, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair, gold, pearls, or costly array. This is what I'm supposed to hide as a pastor, right? Gonna get the women all mad. But which becometh women professing godliness with good works. You know what we expect from the ladies of this church? We expect them to dress modestly. Alright, we expect them to dress modestly. I, he, God wants the men to be victorious, he says, in their praying, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And then you know what it says about the women? In like manner also, that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel. You know, this isn't where you come to put on a fashion show. All right? This isn't a Miss America pageant, you know, where you come and where you're showing off your body and showing off yourself. That is not what we do as Christians. That is not what you ought to do out there outside the church. When you're in the world, if you are a woman that professes godliness, right? if you claim to be a Christian, if you claim to be a child of God, the Bible says that you're supposed to dress that way. Okay? There are certain things that you would not expect to see my children wear because of the fact that they are my children. All right? You all would, if you all were out in town, you know, Tommy's got a driver's license now. And if you all were out in town and you saw Tommy in the mall wearing skinny jeans, all right, you're going to be like, something's wrong. All right. We know, we know Pastor Tommy's got a problem with skinny jeans. All right. We know he's got, we know he's got an issue with that. You're going to know that something's up. And you know what? God expects his people, his, his children, and women specifically it mentions here, that they adorn themselves in modest apparel. That is, a, that is very clear what the Bible says. And we could preach a whole message just on women's dress, and I'm not going to do that. But listen, there is a way that women of good works dress and women of bad works dress. It says right here, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. You're to dress in a way that becometh someone professing godliness. If you profess to be a godly lady, you ought to dress in a way that represents that. Now, what was that back then? Well, obviously, you know, in that culture, they dressed different than we do now. But there are certain things that we see in the Bible that are very clear. One, we see there was men's clothing and there was women's clothing. And the Bible says, uh, a man shall not wear that which pertains unto a woman, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. Or I might mix that up. Deuteronomy 22.5. How does that start? A man shall not... A woman shall not wear that which pertains unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so are an abomination. That's what the Bible says. Okay? We expect men to dress like men and women to dress like women. We expect there to be a distinction. Why? Why? Not just because we're men and women, but because we're 
Christians. My wife, often whenever you know she's been out in public before and people have noticed her wearing skirts and things like that, people often ask her, you know, hey, why do you dress like that? And she'll usually tell them because I'm a Christian. I always tell her, why don't you just say it's because you're a woman? I mean, really, when it comes down to it, the way she dresses, she doesn't just dress that way because she's a Christian. It's because she's a woman. All right, women should dress like women and men should dress like men. All right, and oh, she's like, I don't want to say that. I was like, just say it. Just say, you know, that's funny, (laughs) and it's true too. Just say it. No, don't say it's because you're a Christian. Say it's because I'm a woman. All right, and you know, I'd have no problem. Somebody asked me why I don't wear skinny jeans. I would just say it's because I'm not a fag. That's what I would say. I mean, I'd I'd have no problem saying that, but I don't know. I guess. I guess you don't have to do that. I'm not going to say it's because I'm a Christian. All right, I'm not going to say that. It's not that I'm ashamed of being a Christian, but I'd like to think that even if I wasn't saved, I wouldn't dress like a queer. I like to think that. Uh, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure I wouldn't. But anyway, it so. Uh, where, so where was I on this? So, you know, women, they're not, they're not supposed to, it's specifically mentioned here, they're not supposed to dress in a way to draw attention to themselves, alright? And listen, there, un, obviously today, if you're a lady and you dress like a Christian lady, it does draw attention. But there's a good attention and there's a bad attention. You're not supposed to be trying to appeal to the, to the lust of men. The Bible makes it very clear in Proverbs. There met, you know, it says they're met a woman with the attire of a harlot, alright? Clearly, there is a way that a woman can dress to try to draw the eye of man in a lustful way. All right, and don't make me get descriptive on these things. All right, you all know what I'm talking about. All right, men, you know what I'm talking about, and you know, ladies, you can act like you're oblivious to these things, but you know that's why you should listen to your husband on these things. All right, the, your husband, all right, or young girls, your dad, he knows how the mind of a man works. Uh, and you got you do you have these girls saying, oh I don't see why this is a problem you know I don't see any issue with this well yeah because you're a female all right you're not a guy your dad understands these things or ladies your husband they understand these things and so you know what you ought to follow their lead you ought to listen to them on these things all right and there is there is a way to do that in a bad way but not even just it even when, when it talks about modest apparel I don't believe it's necessarily just has to be you know clothes that cover you but you know you can also dress in just extravagant flashy ways you know it mentions the broided hair and jewels you know you can't some people they just go crazy with the jewelry you know they got big massive rings on every finger and necklaces and earrings all over and you know the poofy hair and i you know i don't know you, you all know what i'm talking about it's one of those things it's hard to explain it verbally but we all know it when we see it don't we you know we know uh, when we see, you know, that woman that comes walking in and you can smell her from 20 feet away with all the perfume that she's wearing. We knew a lady used to go to my dad's church. She wore so much perfume, all right? And I like a little bit of perfume, all right? But if I'm around too much perfume, it gives me a headache. And this lady, she used to wear so much perfume. And I remember one time she had come over to our house and she was holding our cat. And later I was holding our cat and our cat smelled like perfume, all right? That's too much perfume right there. Right? That's trying to attract a little too much attention right there when you're doing things like that. And that's not what we're supposed to do. But, you know, you, we can also take it to another extreme, too. Not only should we not dress in ways that are extravagant, but we don't need to fe- look like we fell off the wagon on Little House on the Prairie. All right. And you do have people like that. They look like, you know, they want to dress like they're from the 1800s, uh, you know, wear a bonnet and, you know, flower sacks and all those kind of things. 
You don't need to do that either, all right? That's not being modest either. You're, drawing, you're attracting a lot of attention, all right? Maybe not in a lustful way, but you are, you're drawing a lot of attention to yourself that's just not, just not necessary. And women ought, to st- women ought to stay away from that stuff. If you're professing godliness, you ought to back it up with how you dress. And that is, that is what it is teaching right there. So let's look at verse 11. Let the women learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Now, I just preached on this uh, a few weeks ago. I'm not going to preach on this again. I'll I'll spare you ladies on that, but go back and listen to my message. Let the women learn in silence. All right, I already talked about that. But let's let's look at the rest of this. I want to expound on some things here that I think are very important. So it says in verse 13, it says, For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And I mentioned this this morning. It says that Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. So the reason man got credited for bringing sin to the world, Adam knew what he was doing. Eve didn't. Eve went, and, but Eve did go take of the fruit first, which she shouldn't have done. And as a result of that, as part of the curse, God made her to be in subjection to her husband. And he made all women to be in subjection to their husbands. That's what the Bible teaches, all right? And so as a result of that, as part of the curse, one of the distinctions that God has put with men and women, it's not just that they dress different, but they also have different roles. And we see that a woman is not to be in leadership over a man. The Bible is very clear about that. And because that, the woman was deceived and it was, was in the transgression. Now look at verse 15. and says, Notwithstanding... She shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. So what does that mean? She'll be saved in childbearing. Does that mean women have to have babies in order to be saved? All right, obviously that's not the case. Not every time you see the term saved in the Bible is it talking about salvation of the soul. All right, what is she going to be saved? Well, it's important whenever you see the word saved, you know, you got to ask, well, what are they being saved from? Well, how do we know what they're being saved from? We, gotta, we have to look at what they've been talking about. And if you look at what's been talked about in these last verses, in, the, in these last passages, we see that it's, I, I think it's talking about saved from all the trouble that it's talked about in here. So, for example, you know, what kind of trouble? What kind of trouble will women get in if they're not having children? All right. Well, first of all, Dressing like a harlot. All right. That was one of the things. We're supposed to dress in modest apparel. But you know what? You got a lot of women today. They don't want to have kids. Why? Because they don't want to ruin their figure. And they say a lot of these same women are the ones that want to dress like a harlot. But you know what? After you, when you're, when you're pregnant and you're having kids, it causes women to not be as anxious to flaunt themselves because, you know, it affects the body shape. All right. And a woman who's pregnant or has just had children is going to be much, much less likely to be going out dressed like the women you see today. Now, some women today in this area, they don't care. All right. And we all see those people all the time. They don't care. One thing we can say for them, at least they're not causing anyone to lust. All right. In fact, you know, it's real easy to look away from a lot of what we see out there. But I think that's one of the things. All right. You know, women who are. You know, having children, they're not going to be getting all caught up in just, you know, 
being, you know, dressing bad, all just obsessed with the body and getting caught up in all these things. And there are, there are some women that are like that. They just get completely obsessed with this stuff and are just always, you know, taking pictures of themselves and trying to show themselves off. And you know what? It's just ridiculous. It really is. And it's, it's completely unnecessary. And it leads to a lot of junk. It's why a lot of them get it, end up too. They're, you know, they're so busy flaunting themselves. They're so obsessed with themselves. A lot of times, maybe they're not satisfied with their husband and they end up, you know, getting caught up in, you know, affairs and things and adultery. And women who are having children, they don't have time for that stuff. They really don't. And guys aren't usually as anxious to pursue the woman who's bearing other people's children. And I'm telling you, bearing children keeps women out of a lot of trouble. And I believe that's one of these things. Also, it keeps them from being caught, you know, being busybodies caught up in drama. Now, that's something we're not going to take time to look at it right now. Uh, but, um, you know, the Bible talks about that in Timothy also. You know, about the tattlers, busybodies, wandering from house to house. Okay? Now, you ask my wife about that. She doesn't have a lot of time for that stuff because she's got six kids. When you have kids that you're taking care of, you don't have time to, you know, to get caught up in a bunch of drama. You're not, you're not going to be doing that. That's some things that are mentioned uh, later in Timothy. But go ahead and turn over to chapter 5 and verse 9. Let's, let's look at this passage. I want to look at this one, though. Look what it says here. It says, Let not a widow be taken into the number under threescore years old, having been the wife of one man. Well reported of for good works, if she hath brought up children, if she have lodged strangers, if she have washed the saints' feet, if she have relieved the afflicted, if she have diligently followed every good work. But the younger widows refuse. For when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry, having damnation because they have cast off their first faith. And withal, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also, and busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. Okay, this is talking about women who don't have children, right? He's saying if you're going to take in a widow, don't take one in that's under 60 years old, all right? The one that you do take in that's over 60 years old, it needs to be one who has brought up children. I mean, she's done the good works. But the younger ones, he said, refuse them. Don't bring them in. Why? Because you know what? They're going to get tired of that. They're going to get bored with that. And they're going to end up getting married. They're going to end up, you know, going against what they had uh, vowed to do. They're going to have, and they're going to have problems as a result of that. And he said in verse 14, he said, I will therefore, this is what the younger women need to do. He said they need to marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some are already turned aside unto Satan. So we see right here in this passage that the women who are getting caught up and being the idle, paddlers, busybody, it's women that don't have children. And so I personally believe when it's talking about them being saved in childbearing here, is it saying that, that the having children and raising up children, bearing children, that's going to keep a woman out of a lot of trouble. A lot of the things that they are more tempted into doing than maybe a lot of men are. All right? You know, usually, in, now, we live in America, okay? Our society is very effeminate. We've, getting caught, we've got caught up in a lot of things, but... You know, women are historically more likely to get caught up in the drama and everything. You know, a lot of guys, you know, I, 
you know, a lot of times we, just, we don't care about this stuff. I really don't care about that. I don't want to talk about that. Women, they're the ones that eat that stuff up. They get consumed with that stuff. All right? And I, I understand guys do too, but you know, the thing is, a woman who has children, all right, she's, she's just too busy for that stuff. And notice too, when it talks about bringing in a widow that's over six score, one who's brought up children, now why don't they have to worry about her being an idle tattler and a busybody? You know why? Because that woman, she understands how valuable time is. Somebody who's actually raised children and done all these things and been a wife and a mother, she understands the value of time and she will be repulsed by the just the time-wasting junk that's going on in the lives of many young single women or even young married women who just who don't have kids. That's just that's something that's going to be a, a very common thing. And so he said, I, be, I believe when he's talking about being saved in childbearing, you'll be saved from just all this junk that you get caught up into. And men too, if we're not careful, all right, God notice too that one of the things that God put on the women. When God, uh, when God's pronouncing these curses is pain and childbearing, being submissive to their husband. But you know what? Women who aren't doing those things, they get in all kinds of trouble, don't they? Well, what did God do to the man? God cursed the ground for the man. You know, God told him he was going to have to take care of that ground and he was going to have to pull the thorns and he was going to have to work. He was going to have to sweat. Well, what happens to men who have too much time on their hands? They get caught up in a lot of junk too. We got a lot of men today that their problem is they don't have enough to do. You know, we're so blessed in our country. You know, especially if you're a single young guy, if you're working 40 hours a week, you know, that gives you plenty of time to still watch all the TV you want, play all the video games you want, and surf all the internet that you want, and still have the food and things that you need. But what happens to a lot of those guys? They get all caught up in just all the internet trash that's out there. And they end up getting their minds corrupted by a lot of things. And the truth is, all of us, in order to keep ourselves out of trouble, we need things to keep us occupied. And we do. We need, you know, young men, we need, we need wives. We need children. Young ladies, they need husbands. They need children. These things will help keep them out of trouble. And the truth is, God expects us as children, uh, as His children, and we expect as people who are members of this church to stay out of trouble. And isn't that a lot of what we see here in this passage? Isn't that why we are supposed to be praying for the kings and all that are in authority? That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. Alright? Not a quiet and peaceable life, so we've got time to go get caught up on all the drama on Facebook and everything that's going on. No, we're supposed to be trying to live a quiet and peaceful life. We're trying to be godly people. We're trying to, you know, win souls. We're trying to make a difference. We're trying to do the things that God has called us to do because God expects us to be good people. We're saved. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. We have the Word of God. And those of you that are here today, you are in a church that preaches the Word of God. And God wants you to be victorious in your life. He wants you to have good works in your life. He wants you to keep the junk out of your life. And God is showing us here in these chapters things that we need that need to be a part of our life so we're not getting ourselves in trouble. So we can actually be effective ambassadors for Christ. And I'm afraid too many people today, too many saved people, too many church members today, they just don't care about any of this stuff. It's just whatever I feel like doing. And they're coming to church. It's nothing more than just a little feel-good session. Something to just make me feel good about myself. 
You know, and I like to go, I like to just, you know, get around people and socialize and have all that stuff. But boy, when that preacher starts getting on my sin, now we got a problem. Hey, I'm supposed to be preaching this stuff because it's supposed to change you. You're not supposed to be, act like the rest of them out there. I understand that we're sinners and they're sinners. But something's happened with us. We got reconciled to God. And so, you know, and He has called us to be ambassadors for Christ. So let's follow these things in our life. Let's do these things. What all of you need to say, you know what I'm going to do this week? I'm going to go and I'm going to pray for the people in my church. I'm going to write down these prayer requests that people are saying. And I'm going to go pray for them. I'm going to make intercession for them. If I see somebody going astray, if I see our leaders going astray, I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer for these people. I'm going to say, Lord, whenever you see Donald Trump making another foolish decision, say, hey, Lord, you turn the heart of Nebuchadnezzar. Hey, Lord, you use Cyrus, king of Persia. If you handle those guys, you're going to handle Donald Trump. Go to bat for him. Go to pray for him. Make intercession for him. Pray that we'll get some good leaders here. Pray for your church. Pray for your pastor. Pray for these things. That, that, that is our job. Pray for the people in this community that you can be used to reconcile them to God. That needs to be something to pray for. You know, ladies, you need to look like a Christian. You need to adorn yourselves in modest apparel. You know, men, we need to be good leaders in our homes. We need to be teaching these things. We need to be victorious people. Not, pe- you know, we not we don't need a bunch of eors running around. We need guys who are lifting up their hands, who have confidence, who pray, that are victorious, that believe God's going to do great things. And if we would do these things that God has commanded us to do, if we would just get over this thing, oh, I just got to come to church and I'm all good. No, make the church make the church all week. Follow these things all week. Look like a Christian. All week long. Be spreading the gospel all week long. Just not at soul. You don't have to do it just at soul winning times. You know, be talking to people about these things. And you know what? If we'll do these things, God will use us. And you know what? I believe if we do these things, I believe we'll be more likely to live and lead a quiet and peaceable life. Because you know when God usually sends the tribulation, when God sends the persecution, it's when the people get too comfortable and they get lazy. And God got to send that persecution in to kind of stir His people up. We see He did that with Israel all the time. He did it with the early church. And you know what? I personally would prefer to live a quiet and peaceful life. And you know what? The Bible says all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But you know, if the persecution comes, I want it to be because I'm in the will of God. I don't want God to send it to be trying to light a fire under me. Alright, I want it, I want it to come for the right reasons. And so, let's get busy now. Let's do what we're supposed to do now. And I believe God will do great things with each of you. He'll do great things with our church. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your goodness to us. And Lord, I pray you will help us to take these things serious that we're seeing in 1 Timothy, we will apply these to our lives. Lord, I pray pray that everyone here will take all these things. Lord, help me realize I'm not up here just preaching so I can hear myself talk and I'm not just up here to make people feel good. Lord, but we are, we're supposed to be hearing these messages and and letting them change us. And I pray that we will uh, surrender uh, to your word and we will let it dictate our lives. And I pray that you'll bless each one for it. In your name we pray. Amen.